You guys can have a seat. It's great to see you all tonight. I'm so glad that we get to be together tonight to worship God and to be in God's word together. So make sure you hang with me really tight. So we are starting today. We are starting week three. We are in week three of our series on worship. And last week, Josh brought us a great message uh, that he called um, God is greater than our idols. And so tonight we're going to do part two of that message. God is greater than our idols, part two. And I'm so excited to be talking about worship. In your handout that was on your chair when you got here, there's a question at the top, and I want you to take your pen and the seat back in front of you, and you can start to get ready to fill in blanks. So you can follow along with us and just stay awake and with us and paying attention and stuff like that. But there's a question there at the top, and it says, who will you choose to worship? And you can fill in that first blank right there. Who will you choose to worship? I think that that is a question that everybody has to answer. If you remember from week one, we said that everybody worships. It's not a matter of who, uh, what of who worships, but who will you worship? And we asked that question again tonight. Who will you choose to worship? We said last week and the week before that an idol is someone or something that you love more than God. And there are so many things in our world, so many things in our world that we could put all of our love and affection and attention toward. And that becomes an idol. There are a lot of choices. I want to show you this picture of this food truck uh, park. I don't know if you know what a food truck park is, but it's a place where you have all these food trucks that line up and you have a lot of options to go. Yeah, y'all, I can tell you all from the Valley. You never seen a food truck park, right? So uh, you can, we actually have one in McCown. So you can go to the food truck park and you see all of these people, all of these food trucks that are fighting for your attention. They want you to come to their food truck and buy what they are offering you. And so they have different colors and different print on their food truck saying, come and get what we have, come and enjoy what we are offering you. And I think that that's what it feels like sometimes when you have so many options and choices of where you can place your love, your worship. There are so many things, so many people in our world that are vying for your attention, fighting for your love, fighting for your worship. And it seems like that sometimes, like there's all these choices, there are all these choices of who you can worship and where you can worship and things like that. In today's story, we're going to look at the story of these people that we've talked about before called the Israelites, and they are going to come face to face with this choice. Are they going to worship God? Are they going to worship the idols of the king and the people around them? Now, you need to know a little background to this story so you can kind of know what's going on when we start to read the story, okay? So first of all, Y'all remember the song that Kanye just came out with last fall called Close on Sunday? Everybody's been talking about Chick-fil-A and how it's closed on Sunday, right? Okay, well, just by a show of hands, raise your hand if, you heard, if you've heard the song, Closed on Sunday. Let's see. Okay, so there you go. Yes, even my seven-year-old is singing Closed on Sunday at the house and telling me that I'm her Chick-fil-A. Okay, so Closed on Sunday. But there is a lyric in there that may have caused you to scratch your head a little bit and say, what does that mean? What is he talking about? Who is he talking about? It's at the very end of the song, and he says in the song, Jezebel don't even stand a chance. Y'all remember that? Y'all remember that line? So some of you may be like, well, who's he talking about? What's he talking about? There's always speculation. Who's Jezebel and all this stuff, right? Jezebel don't even stand a chance. Well, today and in today's story, you're going to learn a little bit of who King Ahab and Jezebel were. See, King Ahab in the Bible, we're going to be in 1 Kings 18, by the way, if you want to start turning there. But King Ahab married this lady, and her name was Jezebel, and she became the queen, and she was all wrong for him, and all wrong for the people of the kingdom, and all wrong for the Israelites. And she convinced the king to set up these Asherah poles, which were these giant pillars or poles that they worshipped, and Baal, the idol that, they, that she worshipped, she convinced 
um, the king, that that is what everybody in the land should worship. And so she makes it her personal mission, her personal goal to go after all of God's prophets and have them slaughtered. She has them killed. She rounds them all up. She has them killed and slaughtered. And there's this guy that he he gathers a few of God's prophets and he hides them in caves and he's taking them food and he wants to try to keep them alive. But she makes it her personal mission. She hates God so much. She hates God's prophets so much that she wants to see them all die. And Elijah is one of the only ones. In fact, he calls himself the only prophet that is left alive. And with bold courage, he's about to stand face to face with King Ahab and go square to square, nose to nose, toe to toe in this battle of God versus these idols that they were worshiping, these fake gods, these gods that they decided they were going to love more than God himself. And that's where we pick up the story today. All right, so we're in verse 16 of 1 Kings chapter 18, and it says that Ahab went to meet Elijah, verse 16, and then it says that when he saw Elijah, he said to him, is that you, you troublemaker of Israel, you prophet of God who has caused us all this trouble? And Elijah says to him, I have not made trouble for Israel, Elijah said, but you and your father's family have. And I put this part of bold. You have abandoned the Lord's commands and have followed Baals, all the idols. So number one on your handout says this. Don't let temptation, don't let temptation or influences turn you away from loving God. You see, King Ahab was an Israelite and he knew who the true God was. But because of his wife and because of the influences around him and the temptation around him, he decided that it would be better to worship idols than the one true God. We can't be like that. You know, those of you who know Jesus and you follow him, you're his disciple. You can't allow temptation or influences around you to let you be convinced that it is better to put your love other places, that it is better to love other people or other things more than loving the God who loves you, who saved you, who sent his son Jesus to die for you. Knowing God's love instead of, knowing God, knowing God loves you instead of loving God, loving God, um, and uh, loving something else instead of God is the temptation that we face. We, you cannot be convinced as a follower of Jesus Christ You cannot be led away by temptation or influences that it is better to love other things than the God who loves you and saves you. You know, sometimes we go through that. You know, sometimes like when we go to camp and it's such an amazing experience and when we're at camp, we just know that God has spoken to us and he's moved us and God has called us back to himself sometimes and we've repented of sin and we've dealt with some things that are going on back home when we go to camp together or maybe like at one week or things like that. And we come back and we say, man, I love God. I love getting to worship God at camp and I want to follow God and I am, I am a disciple of Jesus Christ. And then time goes by and the year gets started and, and the school year gets going and stuff like that. And we just realize that because of influences and temptation around us, that we begin to slowly but surely at times, and this certainly isn't everybody, we start to feel like there is a fight going on for our attention. Like there's a fight going on for our love. There's a fight that goes on for our worship. And we can't let temptation and influence cause us to take our eyes off of loving God with all that we are. 
All right, so let's keep going with the story, okay? In verse 19, Elijah challenges Ahab. He says, bring people from all over. Bring the Israelites here. He tells him, let's meet at Mount Carmel. That's where we're going to face off. He says, bring 450 of your prophets. Bring all of them. They love your wife, Jezebel. They serve her idol gods, but bring them all to this mountain. I want to show you this picture of what Mount Carmel looks like today, because I want you to know that this is like an actual place. This is the place in uh, the Middle East where they squared off, where they faced each other, where King Ahab and all of his prophets, 450 prophets of Baal, and Elijah, the only one, one of God's prophets, where he, where Elijah challenges him and says, let's meet there and bring all the people to come watch this showdown of worship happen and go on. Elijah in verse 21 says this, that Elijah went before the people. He went to the people, the Israelites, his people, and he said to them, how long will you waver? Waver is like go back and forth, right? He says, how long will you waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, follow him. And it says that the people said nothing. Can you imagine that? Elijah gives them two choices. He says, listen, how long are you going to be just sitting on the fence, not knowing if you should worship God or if you should worship this idol? If God is God, then worship and love him only. And if Baal is God, then worship and follow Baal. And the people, they don't have a response. They don't know what to do. They're just sitting there like, we honestly don't know who is better. This idol that we can see made out of statue or God that we have heard and known our whole lives. They don't know what to choose or what to do. Here's the second thing I want you to write down. It's this, it's that fear and doubt can keep us from worship. The people certainly were afraid. They were afraid of the king. They were really afraid of Jezebel, his wife. You see, if they did not worship the idols of the land, and if they only worshiped God, the one true God that they knew, it meant that they were putting their life at risk. In fact, they had already seen and known that all across the land, Jezebel had gathered all of God's prophets and had them slaughtered, had them executed, which meant that if they too were going to follow God and worship and love God only, that there was a chance that they would be killed, that they would be executed as well. Now, they're not too sure what to do, but they certainly are filled with a lot of fear. And that's what fear does. Fear takes our eyes off of God. You know, this week I was really afraid about some things. I had a lot of trouble sleeping last night, personally. There's just some stuff going on. A lot of things have been on my mind, and I couldn't sleep last night. And I was filled with so much fear that I couldn't sleep. I don't know if you've ever felt like that, where you're just tossing and turning all night long. And I knew it was fear. And those of you who were here on Sunday morning, you, know, you knew that I preached in big church. I preached in the two English services on Sunday morning. And I found myself in the middle of the night at 1.30 in the morning, tossing and turning, not able to sleep at all, just filled with fear and just not feeling at peace at all just no peace. I wasn't feeling peace. And I thought to myself, man, on Sunday morning, I told all the people in big church that courage comes from prayer and that we need to pray more, pray more, pray more. And so I got out of bed and I was walking around my house and it was kind of dark. So, you know, when it's dark in your house, you kind of got to like tiptoe around a little bit so you don't kick your, kick the table or kick the cat or, or you may, well, you might be trying to kick the cat. But anyway, so, but I'm walking around the house and I just found myself praying my little girls don't know this, but I went like creeper style into their room. I opened the share room. I went into the room and they were there sleeping 1.30 in the morning. And I kneeled at my daughter Lydia's bed. I kneeled at her bed, feeling all of this fear in myself, in me. And I just started praying for my daughter. 
And I just started praying all these things that I wanted my daughter to know and grow in. She's seven. And then I turned right around and there was my daughter, Bethany. She's 10 and she was sleeping right there. And I kneeled right at her bed. And I spent about five more minutes there just kneeling and praying and praying. And then I got up and I left their room and I sat all by myself in the dark and I started praying started praying. I started saying, God, there's so much that I fear. There's so much that I'm afraid of right now. There's a lot of things going on. I don't, I don't like this feeling. It is, I feel like it's ruling my heart and robbing me of peace, but I love you, God. I love you. And I started remembering that there's so much that we, that you, that I have to be thankful for. And I started saying, God, I want to thank you for this. I want to thank you for that. And I just kept saying this over and over again, realizing that fear did not have to rule me, that I could give up my feeling of fear and live in the truth of loving God more than the fear that was gripping me. And guess what? After a little bit of time, I started to get sleepy and I fell asleep praying. And some of you may be like, oh, that's bad. You're not supposed to fall asleep when you're praying, right? Well, when you can't sleep and you fall asleep praying, that's a real good thing. See, the people are filled with fear and they're afraid to worship and love God. They're on the fence. And Elijah says, what are you going to do? You got to choose. You, you can't worship the idol and worship the one true God at the same time. They don't know what to do. So Elijah, he goes up to um, king, the king and he says, I'm the only prophet of God left. He tells him, I'm going to take two bulls that we're going to sacrifice and we're going to place them on this altar and have them burned. And he tells the king to do the same, to get all his 450 prophets together to select and choose a bull that they're going to sacrifice. Now, this is the important part. Don't miss this out. He told them to prepare their sacrifices and to call on their God, Baal, to light the altar that the bull was going to be sacrificed on. So imagine this for a second. Uh, the prophets, they take this bull that they're going to sacrifice. They build this altar made out of stone. They chop the bull up into lots of pieces and they put it on the altar. And Elijah, to Elijah tells them to call down on, to, on their God to light the fire, to not light the fire themselves, but to call down on their God, their idol, to light the fire. And he tells them that he is going to do the exact same thing. And the Bible says in this chapter that from morning till noon, the prophets of Baal, the king and the queen's prophets, the prophets of Baal are dancing around the altar and screaming and yelling at their God, Baal, to light their altar on fire. And nothing is happening because he is just an idol, a fake God that is not worthy of love and affection. Now, Elijah, he is one smooth criminal because look what he does. Verse 27, he says, at noon, Elijah began to taunt them. Now, I, I really admire the courage that he has because in the land, they're killing God's prophets. He's one of the only one left standing there. And he says to the 450 and the king, he says to them, shout louder. He says, surely he is a God. But maybe he is deep in thought. Maybe he's busy or traveling or he's asleep and it must be awakened. So come on, guys, dance more, shout louder. Your, prophet, your God, your idol, he just can't hear you. So what do they do? They do exactly as he says. They start to shout louder. This is really sad. They even start to cut themselves 
and slash themselves until they were bleeding as a way of showing like their devotion and commitment and love to their fake God, Baal. That's what it says that they did. And midday passed and they continued to do this all the way until the evening, but there was no response. No one answered. No one paid attention because that is what fake gods can offer. Anything that you desire to love more than the one true God will offer nothing in return. That's number three. Worshiping idols is futile. It's futile. Futile. Now that's a nice word, right? It just simply means it's pointless. It's useless to worship these idols. It's useless to worship other things other than God. Any other worship is in vain. It's empty. And Josh taught us that word vain last week, that worshiping idols is just vain and pointless. See, now it's Elijah's turn. The gloves have come off and Elijah has said, enough is enough. Like you have had your time. So verse 30, follow along with me. This is what it says. It says, then Elijah said to all the people, come here, come gather around, watch this. He says, they came to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord, which had been torn down. Elijah took 12 stones, one for each of the tribe of tribes descended from Jacob, from the tribes of Israel, to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, your name shall be Israel. Now with the stones, he built an altar. Imagine this in the name of the Lord, and he dug a trench. He digs this trench around the altar, and it is large enough to hold two seas of seed. It's a big trench. He arranged wood. And this is kind of, kind of a little interesting, right? He cuts the bull into lots of little pieces and lays the bull on the altar, and then it says that they fill four jars of water, and they pour the jars of water on the bull on the altar, they soak it, douse it in water, and Elijah says, do it again. Four jars of water? Really? Come on. Give us four more. So it says they do it again. They take four more jars of water, and they pour water all over the sacrifice again. And Elijah says, "Um, my God's pretty powerful. Do it again. So they do it a third time. It says the third time they take the water, it says that the water ran down the altar and the water even filled the trench around the altar. If you're good at math, how many jars is that? Four times three, anybody? Awesome, you passed third grade math or second grade math. 12 jars of water is what they do. It says that at the time of the sacrifice, the prophet Elijah, he steps forward. Not 450 prophets of the idol, but this one prophet Elijah steps forward and this is what he prays. Follow along. Don't miss this out. Don't miss out on this. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Don't miss this. And as I read this, I want you to imagine your life and the people and who people worship in our world today. Elijah says, let it be known today that you are God. Let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. This is what he says. Answer me, Lord. Lord, answer me. 
So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So Elijah says, all these Israelites, all these people that don't know who to worship, they're afraid to worship you because of the king, because of the other prophets and the idols. And they're just there just kind of watching with their hands tied. And there's so much fear that they have. He says, may they know, may they know that you are God and that you're turning their hearts, their love back to you, God. It says that then the fire of the Lord fell and burned up the sacrifice, the wood, the stones, the soil, and also licked up the water in the trench. Although even the water starts to steam and boil and dissipate. That's what this fire caused. This is how powerful this fire was. It says that when all the people saw this, they fell prostrate. They fell down. They weren't just standing there like, you know, kind of we are today on social media, like, oh, that's kind of cool. Or, uh, you know, it takes a lot to impress us today. That's just reality with social media today. It's like, yeah, that's kind of cool. See, but when the people saw fire fall and burn up this sacrifice that had been soaked in water, and they had just seen the other prophets yelling all day long to their idol and nothing happened. They didn't just say, oh, well, that's kind of cool. It says that they fell down to the ground on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God and he is greater. He is God, the Lord, he is God. That's what they said. So the fourth thing you're gonna write in is this, is that God turns our hearts back to him. Yes, we do get distracted sometimes. And yes, we are tempted to love a lot of other things more than God. But God turns our hearts back to him when we remember and see that he is greater. See, when we see that God truly is greater than all of the little idols that we can give our love to, our our hearts are turned back to him. He can get our attention with anything and everything and remember that he is is greater. You know, this, this week in the news, we have seen over and over again just the horrible news that Kobe Bryant and his daughter and a total of nine people were killed in the helicopter wreck this week, right? Such sad news. I've, I've been watching every interview that I can watch. I've been watching um, Shaq on, with his take on things. I've just been following it closely. And the thing that really stood out to me is that we as a people, as like a nation, like everybody in the West and even all over the world can be so um, unaware that life is so short that we are not promised another day. So this thing that we talk about when we say worship, when we say like loving God first, loving God with all that you are, like it is not something that should be for tomorrow. It is not something that should be for a week from now. Loving God with all that you are, it, worship isn't something that we say, well, I, I think that's something that's going to be really good one day when I'm an adult. But right now I want to do whatever I want to do and love whoever I want to love more than God. See, this thing called worship, loving God with all that we are, is all about seeing that God is greater now. He is greater today. And he deserves all of our worship all of our love, all of our attention, all of our affection. And when he is number one in our hearts, 
then we can do all the other things that he calls us to do and the other things that he, we enjoy doing too. All right, listen, this is how we're going to end tonight. I want you to take your little handout, your little bulletin that you've been writing on all night. And at the very bottom, there is a prayer response there, okay? And we're just going to give you a little bit of time to fill that in. Fill that in. It's a prayer. And you can fill it in, fill in the blanks to kind of help you out. Don't rush through it. Take a little time. And I'm going to read it. And this is what it says. And I want you to make this personal, okay? Don't make this something that's like for your friend. or This is you. This is something that you need to fill in. Nobody else is going to see this. But the first line says, God, please turn my heart back to you when, and I want you to write in a temptation or a distraction that really causes you to love other things more than God. I don't know what it is for you. I know what it is for me. But whatever that is, God, please turn my heart back to you when, and I want you to write in some kind of temptation or distraction that causes your worship to be placed somewhere else. The second line says this, God, you are greater than, and I want you to write in something that you are tempted to make greater than God in your life. And then that third line says, God, I love you more than, and I want you to write in something that you at times love more than God. And the very bottom line says, today I remember how great you are and give you my love in Jesus' name, amen. And when you fill that in, when you finish filling this in, I want you to just bow your head and I want you to pray this prayer that you wrote yourself. And after that, we're gonna close out. than our problems. You're greater than our fears. 
You're greater than our strengths and the things we're good at. You're greater than our hobbies. You're greater than um, the things that we take pride in. God, you are greater than everything. And we look to you tonight, God, saying that you are greater. Will you help us to make you the greatest in our life? And God, we come before you today saying that we love you more and we want to lay down idols and things that we have placed above you, God. We want idols to be smashed to pieces and we want to fix our eyes on you, God, and how much we love you. Uh, students, right where you're at with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, no looking around or anything like that. But if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you've heard us talk a lot about Jesus, but you're not his disciple. You're not a follower. You don't know him. And tonight you want to say, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to walk in forgiveness and I want to walk in his love and I want to know God. Um, you can tonight, but it comes through Jesus Christ and his forgiveness. So tonight, if you're here for the first time and have never surrendered or given your life to Christ and want to do that, would you just not be afraid and just raise your hand and put it down? Nobody else is looking at you. We love you, God.